It is Wednesday, December 12th. I'm your host, Paul Spore, and it's back. Y'all have been waiting for it for far too long, let's just be honest. Call Your Shot is back. I don't know if you can hear Charlotte sneezing in the background. She's so excited. She can't even contain herself. Now she's shaking. <sighs> had to do it. I mean, we had we had to bring Call Your Shot back, and the response was incredible. Um, like, I could not believe how fast and, and furiously the responses were coming in. And I really appreciate that. So for those of you unaware, call your shot. Uh, basically, I ask you to leave your baseball-related, unpopular opinions, scorching hot takes, thought-provoking questions about the, in this case, the MLB offseason, signings, trades, Hall of Fame, etc. And then I address the best here in a podcast just like this. And it is a direct ripoff of Anthony Fantano's Let's Argue series, um, which I just absolutely love. So... Let's just jump into it because we've got tons to go over. We're going to start simple. <laughs> At Stat Magician, the Mets suck. You know, I don't really agree with that. Um, I, th I think what they're doing isn't uh, terrible. I, you know, I don't love the Cano trade. It's not something I'm doing backflips over, but I don't, I don't hate it either, especially in a win-now mentality. We'll see what they do. If they trade Thor... I, I, I join I join that uh, that bandwagon there that says that they suck because I don't like that idea at all. But as it stands right now, I don't hate what the Mets are trying to do. At Jerf Solo, there shouldn't be a barrier to the Hall of Fame. No percentage of votes. Anyone who gets more than X votes should get in. The Hall should be to honor greats, not exclude those on the cusp. Well, isn't getting X number of votes just a different way of saying a percentage of votes? Come on, Jeff. Come on, Jeff. That's you just said you just you're looking at a whole number instead of a percentage at that point. Come on. And of course, there should be a cap. I, listen, I know there's a lot of uh, consternation over Harold Baines getting in. And, you know, if I had a vote, it's not somebody that I would have necessarily put in. But for me, kind of the way I, I look at it is. I will discuss and not necessarily campaign against. First off, I just don't have any influence over it, but discuss and kind of say pro or uh, you know, pro or con for a particular guy. But once they get in, I'm not looking to undercut that moment. I'm not looking to say he didn't deserve to get in and screw that guy. You know, we don't know what these guys go on and look at social media and, and just to undercut that and say that they didn't deserve it and kind of hate on it. I don't know. That, that that That's a little bit too far for me. Like, for example, Jack Morris, another guy I didn't really think was uh, somebody that I would have put in. Or, you know, definitely I wouldn't have put him in if I had a vote. But once he got in, and particularly going in with Tram, I was like, hey, I'm a Tigers fan. Let's do it. Like, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm gonna, you know, I'll be happy for it. First off, it just doesn't impact us that much. So for those to be vehemently against it and, and you know, get to the point of anger if somebody gets in that, that you you weren't a fan of or, or you didn't see as valid, you probably need to dial it down. But, uh, you know, be, so beyond that, it's just like, okay, I will I will talk about it in, in a, uh, you know, I don't want to say forceful, but I'll, I'll be, I'll deep dive it. I'll go hard. I'll, I'll be aggressive for or against when the campaigning stage is going on. But once the decision is made, kind of keep it at that. Dr. Mike Tanner, by the way, look for some of Dr. Mike Tanner's work on Rotographs soon. More, more details for that soon. Uh, but he says, Clayton Kershaw will not be a top 30 starting pitcher. 
given his expertise in the injury field, I would imagine that that is what this is related to, is that he just believes that Kershaw won't stay healthy and thus will fall shy of being a top 30 starter. I can see it. I, I lean the other way, though. I'm not ready um, to just kind of forsake Kershaw and just uh, move on from him. I understand people don't want to be left holding the bag uh, on Kershaw, and you know if he comes up with a 130-inning season, which doesn't seem out of bounds, 149, 175, 161 the last three years, numbers just keep going down. He's going to be 31. Injuries keep piling up for Kershaw. I get it. I understand all that, and I'm not going to be... Well, you know, I guess it depends on, on your perspective. But I don't think I'm, like, overly aggressive on him in the market. I don't have him, you know, in my top five or anything like that. But I'm not moving him out, you know, down to my top 20 or, or anything like that as well with, with Kershaw. I'm not ready to say that we're done seeing great Kershaw. Now, would I put him down for 200 innings? God, no. Absolutely not. But a buck 75, sure, I can see that. And, you know, a buck 75 with a low twos ERA is still fantastic, even a high twos. So I, I lean away from that, but perhaps uh, Dr. Tanner has something that he's going to be writing about Kershaw that uh, highlights why he feels this way. It's certainly a bold take, though, and I, I can see the path to it. I just happen to be a little bit more interested in still trying to take that discount on Kershaw this year and see if I can spike it. Ariel Cohen at ATCNY. Chris Archer is worthless in any fantasy mixed league. He's undraftable. His stats can be mimicked on the waiver wire by swapping in and out good matchups and two start pitchers. There's no need to ever draft him unless you play in the in a mono league. Now that now I thought I thought uh, Dr. Tanner was coming in with some heat on the Kershaw take, and Ariel just said, you know what? I've got some I've got some true heat. It's winter. You guys want to get warmed up? come gather around this take and get absolutely torched. Um, I understand it. And uh, I was in the Rotowire magazine mock yesterday, uh, being Tuesday, the, the 11th. And um, when he got drafted, I think it was Clay Link and I were discussing, you know, how we can't really quit him. And I mentioned that part of it, and this is a foolish reason, which I even said in this, is that uh, his personality. I like Chris Archer's personality. I like who he is as a person. And so that makes it difficult for me to quit him, which is very stupid for fantasy because, you know, his being a cool guy uh, is not going to garner me any fantasy value. So it doesn't make sense to, you know, run that way with it. Look, I, I understand this. This is another player that I'm a little bit reluctant to fully quit on. And it, yes, there is that whole, like, I, I like the guy, and so that's definitely playing a role. But I don't think that's it. Like, that's not the only reason that I continue to uh, at least keep an eye on Chris Archer. That said, you look, the season that he just put up was 122nd among starting pitchers on the player Raider. So you think about what Ariel's talking about here, and there's some validity to it. Uh, and with a 431-138 ERA whip combo, I mean, even last year, 2017, uh, wasn't very good for Archer. In fact, I'm going to look that up because I think he would probably be out of the top 80 last year. Well, maybe a little bit better. Hang on. I'm already seeing it. It's better than that. Wow. It's actually – what would be the key difference? Oh, never mind. The innings. Hello. Hello. He only had a buck 48 this year and 201 last year. So that that is a major, major, major difference, and he still was able to put up a – 
top 30 season in 20, uh, 2017. I, I just I thought 407 126 was going to be a bit closer than the uh, to the 431-138, but I guess you, you you get the worst ERA, worst whip, and slice off 50-plus innings. Uh, that's a big difference. Plus, cut strikeouts. Okay, it makes sense why it's so vastly different. I wouldn't say he's undraftable. 10-team um, league, if you want to avoid him, like if, if, you're, if you're making him an integral part of your rotation, I think you're putting yourself in, in harm's way there. As far as dealing with that, that makes sense to me. Uh, if he can be somebody who's, say, your fifth, sixth starter for Archer, I think that makes a lot more sense, and that's something that, that you should be looking to do. But undraftable, I think, goes a, goes a step too far for me. Man, I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of con convincing myself of this a little bit more, though, as, I, as I'm talking about it. I don't want to go too long on this one because we have so many to get to. But you look and you see the walk rate's still strong. Swinging strike rate didn't even really go down. Imperceptible 0.3 percentage, you know, 0.3% uh, per downtick from 13.4 to 13.1. That's nothing. The homers actually came down. Uh, the hits went up from 8.6 to 9.4 per nine. He's going to be in uh, Pittsburgh the entire year. That's a great park. It's a tough division, but it's not as tough as the AL East, I would say. The one thing I don't like about him being in Pittsburgh, and that's what I mentioned this when he got traded there, is that they're going to make him throw fastballs, and I don't think he has great fastballs, uh, the two-seamer and, and four-seamer. So uh, I, I wish he was with a team that was open to him throwing his slider you know, almost 50% or, or kind of taking the Corbin route. So now nah, he's going to be age 30. I, I can't do it. I can't quite go that far and say that he's undraftable. I understand the take. Um, and in a 10, maybe even a 12-team league, I understand what Ariel's saying where you can replicate Archer on the wire and everything, but I'm still going to see him as an upside play that if I, as long as the market doesn't go crazy, and I don't think they are going crazy for Archer, and I can get him as like my fifth starter, I'm still going to be open to doing that. For one more year at least. Jason Collette, love that guy, says uh, Rendon equals MVP. You know, Jason and I, uh, one of the things like when we podcast, some people say, why? I wish you guys would disagree more. Sorry, we're both awesome and smart. <laughs> we can't manufacture disagreement. We're not just going to take opposite sides for the sake of it. Uh, and we do see eye to eye on a lot of players. We definitely have some disagreements, but uh, we do see eye to eye on a lot of players. And chief among them is Anthony Rendon. Uh, I absolutely love Rendon. I love what he what he does. He's just a really steady, solid fantasy player too. I think he's a little bit under undervalued in the market. Not super cheap, you know. You're not uh, getting what I would say some, uh, you know, crazy bargain on him. He's always a top five rounder, but I feel like he's a a rounder too lower than he could be. You know, let's say fifteen to. 30 picks. I guess that's a round or two. That's a different way of saying a round or two in a, in a 15 team league. I'm a doofus. Um, but at that level of the draft, that's substantial, right? As you get further in the draft, you know, being five rounds different in when you're talking round 20 to 25, you know, it, the, the, the gap, the gap becomes different as you get deeper in the draft there. So I do think that Rendon is somebody that continues to find his way on my clubs because I like where he goes. I could see an MVP caliber season and what, what it would involve, because I do think he has this kind of ability is, um, 
the Babip just kind of going crazy. He's got high contact. He takes his walks. He has solid power, good counting numbers. I think it would require like a 340 type of season. So a lot of hits would have to fall in. And when I say like, you know, Babip luck, it doesn't mean that he wouldn't be earning it. But I'm saying like, not only does he do his normal thing where he earns his, you know, 310 type of average, but then gets a lot of, uh, you know, just kind of has that, that that takeoff season where a lot of stuff falls into maybe even some some bleeders some doinkers things like that or he just goes off with the line drives like it, just because something's unsustainable doesn't mean it was blind luck and that the, the player didn't earn it so if he went off and just ended up with like a 360 370 babbitt for a season because he was popping line drives all over the place and just smacking the piss out of the ball and hit 340 with 30 homers 100 100 um, and the Nats, you know, were, were at least on the radar as I think they, they will be, um, because I do believe that this, that is still a tiebreaker and it's, it's, you don't want to punish a guy for his teammates, but if it's a tiebreaker, I, I, I actually don't hate it as saying, okay, I can do that. Uh, I can use their playoff potential as something that, that breaks the tie. I can see it. I, I, I can see this here. He's been a six-win player each of the last two years. Anthony Rendon, solid defender as well. That's a that's a good, bold statement there, Jason. At HP Joker, this is not particularly bold. He says teams should spend money to try and win. A didoy. I mean, I guess it depends. It depends where they are in the in the win uh, curve, right? I mean, that that's. That, that, that's kind of obvious that, um, you know, if you the Tigers should not be out trying to spend money to in, in the market on top free agents when they don't have a core to build around. But the teams uh, this comment, I think, should apply to teams like San Diego and, and Chicago White Sox who are on the cusp. And I think they are. I think they're trying to. So I think teams understand that, uh, you know, going out and making that big impact move is viable. You spend money elsewhere, though. You spend money in the draft, in the international market, in your uh, research and development team, in your scouting, in your front office. Spend the money everywhere. The free agent market is probably the, the last of those, though, because you don't really win via the free agent market. At Ryry Jones says, after missing out on Harper and Machado, Philly will literally, in all caps, trade the farm for Trout. Wow, that would be that would be something, man. First off, it'd be something if they lost both because they've said, you know, hey, we're gonna be out here, we're gonna be spending the money, we're ready to go. Um, they got they got McCutcheon on a per perfectly fair deal. Was it three fifty? I, I like that deal. McCutcheon's still a hitter, man, and he can hang defense. His speed hasn't really diminished either. I think he's a very solid pickup for them. It uh, looks like they're going to be second place for Hap because they don't want to go that third year. I'm okay with that. So, you know, for as much as that comment about how they were going to be, uh, I think the comment was we're going to be stupid with money. Something to that degree. I think the word stupid was used. Um, it was a little bit of hyperbole because they're not just out here saying we're, we're going to, you know, blindly give third and fourth years to guys who don't deserve them. And, and they're, they're tapping the brakes on something like Hab, and and they tap the brakes on Corbin. Looks like they were second or third for Corbin um, with, with him going to the Nats for that big, bold contract for sure. Rendon is MVP marries well with this one from Simi886, 2019 NL MVP, Corey Seager. I mean, if you think about it, uh, they kind of have 
similar play types and, and similar skill sets there. So again, if you can get behind, um, oh wait, I just pretended like Rendon was AL. Obviously they couldn't both win it. I, th I think I just pretended that they could both win it. I'm a doofus. Anyway, uh, <laughs> but it's that, it's that same sort of mold. I mean, I guess they could be competing against each other, Corey Seager and Anthony Rendon, where the, you know, a, a really gaudy batting average, and I know that we don't take batting average and say that, you know, that's that's what makes a player or anything like that. But you hit 340, 350, something like that, a, a standout number like that. First off, the rest of your numbers are likely to be great, but it, it does jump off the page. And, and that's kind of what I'm getting at there. So, you know, something like a 350, uh, 340, 350 average with a, um, you know, 420 OBP and six something slug 30 homers 100 100 throwing some sbs throwing some good defense at short boom i mean that's what that's that's the path for their mvp season uh all right let's talk about mcguigan one to ten says bryce harper to the jays him and vladdy fight for the triple crown and lead them to the world series that would just be amazing. Well, let's let's just be honest. That would be cool. It's definitely not going to happen. I, I'm sorry to uh, break it to my Canadian brethren. It's not going to happen, but it would be pretty dope if they added Harper and put him with that uh, with that Vladdy Bichette Biggio trio of uh, uh, of lineage players coming up. That that would be something else. <laughs> my beloved girlfriend Jen. At OGenXO. They should call the pitcher the Yeeter. Yeet! Uh, and she got a reply that said, only if they call the catcher the Yoder. The Yeeter and Yoder. You know, she just wants to be uh, be involved, and I, I respect that. I, I'm with it. By the way, Styles D. White was the one who said the thing about the catcher. Yeah, I mean, change pitcher to Yeeter, obviously. Like, uh, what are we doing out here? Do we want this game to succeed? Do we want to resonate with the youth? Call homers just uh, lit bombs or something. I don't know. That was terrible. God, I'm awful. Anyway, at, at 80 underscore Jared, babe, thanks for, uh, thanks for participating. I appreciate it. At 80 underscore J-Rod says, looks like the KC outfield is going to be pretty awesome defensively. So are we stronger on some of their pitchers? It is going to be quite good defensively. I mean, it was going to be even before Billy Hamilton got there because you're looking at, um, you're looking at the likes of Brett Phillips. Uh, he's tremendous defensive center fielder. Um, I think Chris Owings plays a pretty mean center field. If I might have that wrong, but correct me, correct me if I'm wrong. But you could be looking at Gordon. Honestly, if they wanted to put Phillips in right, you could be looking at Gordon Hamilton Phillips as an outfield. And I'm sure on some days that that is what we'll get. And wow, they will track down anything. And they do have some fly ball guys in that home park that does uh, suppress offense, keep that ball in the air with some, you know, playable fly balls and those guys are going to run them down like crazy i know ian kennedy's been a homer machine forever well make sure that they're not uh not quite going out of the yard but you can keep it in the air and uh, and do really well there so sure you know maybe a duffy maybe a kennedy in an al only situation jake junis has had a little bit of a homer problem maybe some of his uh extra base hits and and homers get get uh, find some gloves with that outfield defense brad keller was more of a ground ball guy that's kind of what made him uh, because he didn't really gain any strikeouts. He kept the ball down and just had an obscene 
uh, ground ball rate. So I don't know that he would necessarily benefit from the outfield defense quite as much. But, you know, the 27% of his batted balls that are fly balls should be turned into outs uh, pretty regularly. So, yeah, I do I do think you could look at them, and that, that is kind of interesting. They don't have a lot of fantasy viable. You know who is somebody I still like, though? I'm keeping an eye on Jorge Lopez. And he had that big outing toward the end of the year. Uh, Eno and I used to love him. We talked about him uh, a lot when he was coming up with Milwaukee. He ended up in their AAA, which was in Colorado Springs, and – it really derailed the 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 trajectory that that he was on. But now Jorge Lopez, who I believe came with Brett Phillips, uh, in that trade for Mustakas, is there and he should get a shot. And I I do still kind of hold out some hope for Jorge Lopez. So maybe Lopez, Duffy, Junis, and maybe Kennedy to a super deep league degree might benefit from him. At the one the only one number one Avenger uh, says Cardinals should send an outfield package for Kluber or Bauer. Then bring Reyes back as a late inning stopper. First off, love Reyes in the hater slash Andrew Miller slash fireman, whatever you want to call it. We call it fireman. We don't have to just reference the top guys there. It's usually it was Miller until Hater kind of took over. But we can just call it the fireman's role because it's that's the perfect name for it. They come out, they put out the biggest fire from the sixth inning on, whenever that may be, and usually try to work more than just the uh, the customary one inning. I do think Reyes would excel in that role, and they're in an uh, enviable position where they don't need to force him back in the rotation they've got rotation depth in st louis where they can uh they can kind of take it easy with the youngster and and work him back maybe it's a situation where he's fireman for the first half and then maybe you kind of bring him back uh should should a need arise uh if carmart uh, michaelis flaherty waka wayno dakota hudson um da- daniel ponce de leon Austin Gomber, and I'm not saying that Reyes isn't better than some of those guys, but hes I don't think he's automatically better than Martinez, Michaelis, Flaherty at the front end. I still love Waka, but the, the, the thing of it is their bullpen is not their strength right now. They do have Jordan Hicks kind of leading the way, and then they have some interesting pieces that, that could arise. Uh, you know, one of Cecil or Shreve could, could be a dominant lefty for them. John Brebby has put up some numbers. You know, Luke Gregerson's still getting it done here and there. And I think they'll be in the market for one of the big names out there because the uh, the financial or excuse me the free agent market for relievers is so thick uh, that they'll be able to pick one off there. But then you add Reyes with that, so you get like an uh, Zach Britton or Adam Ottavino. Get one of them. Um, Jordan Hicks, uh, Alex Reyes as your top three, and then you're just like thinking that one of they got Dakota Hudson, a big prospect who's a starting prospect, but he could go in there in the bullpen as well. And then, like I said, Brebbia or Gregerson on the right-hand side, and then one of Cecil and Shreve do something on the left-hand side. You got yourselves a bullpen right there for uh, St. Louis. So I do like that, and they do have outfielders available to to make that trade. I don't think they would want to trade Bader, but maybe like a Tyler O'Neill-focused package. Um, you know, I know, I know Cardinals fans would want it to be Fowler. Then that's not what the Cleveland Indians are going to do. They're going to want one of the young bucks, whether it's Bader or, or O'Neill and, and kind of work from there if they're going to trade Kluber or Bauer. All right. This is uh oh no, I'm, I shouldn't even answer this one because I hate this at Trill Coin, C-O-Y-N-E. We should call him R's-B-I. Get out of here. Don't ever talk to me again. At Hollingshead underscore J underscore. Tatis Jr. gets called up in April and outperforms Correa, Seeger, Bogarts, and Bregman in 2019. 
Nah, damn, that is fiery. That is fiery. So Fernando Tatis comes up, and basically you're saying he's like uh, a top two or three sort of uh, shortstop for the season. And I mean that – I don't know that he would be called up in April. That That's the part that I'm, that I'm just not seeing right now. He has 88 games in double-A. And so maybe there's a scenario in May where he, like, Juan Soto's it. He's just so good, and they have a need arise where they say, you know what, let's just bring him up. But I th- – and, you know, if I'm doing the Juan Soto thing, I should acknowledge that he didn't have – uh, even 88 games in double a before coming up. So it's not necessary that that Tatis uh, absolutely has to put up some big numbers. In fact, he had a whopping eight games. So, you know, that these thresholds of trying to have to, you know, trying to play X amount of games at every level before you come up, those are out the window these days. And that's why it's very difficult to predict prospects. Um, and that's what makes it, I, I frankly, I think that makes things really exciting to be quite honest. But uh, Fernando Tatis Jr. is definitely one of the more electric prospects out there. He's a firm top 10. I think he'll be top five probably across all the uh, the industry lists. That'd be amazing. Uh, it's not going to happen, but maybe he gets called up in, in the early summer and is able to kind of outperform guys like that from the time he's called up on. But I don't know that he's going to get enough time to really put up a full season to outperform some of these stalwarts of the position, Correa, Seager, Bogarts, and Bregman. At the Shy Bears, Alberto Mondesi will not regress. In fact, he will take a leap into the upper echelon of players in the league. 330 OBP, 50 homers, 20 SBs. Me thinks that uh, the Shy Bears has already rostered Alberto Mondesi in the uh, third round of a league, a league or two already. No, I mean, you know, I'm glad that you highlighted the, the OBP because that's a factor that, that needs to improve for him to really, I think, chase down this this 2050 potential that he has um you might be selling it short though on that because heck steamer has him for just a 292 obp and they've got him at 2142 so if you can get him all the way up to 330 you know for the obviously uh, obp doesn't directly help home runs or anything like that but for the stolen bases maybe they're looking maybe you're looking at uh 2565 or something if he could feasibly get a, a 330 you know he's a four percent career walk rate in 500 plate appearances uh in the majors so far for alberto mondesi didn't have very good numbers uh strikeout and walk wise coming up through the minors so it's it's just kind of a known thing man that would just be fun to see if he could get a 3.30. I don't see it. I do like Alberto Mondesi. I've talked about it ad nauseum about how the price is just so high that I, I don't really think I'm going to be able to uh, get involved and, and, and pay the toll there, especially when Jonathan VR is available like five rounds later. And I, I just can't really concoct a scenario where they're that different. Um, age is, is a difference for sure, but, but you know, all, all the things that favor Mondesi are covered in the price of, of VR being so much cheaper. So I, I don't know. I would love to see this, though. You know, an exciting player like that just taking the league by storm on a team like KC. I'm here for it. I just don't quite see it. Uh, speaking of Dexter Fowler, at jdreary12 says Dexter Fowler returns to relevancy and is a coveted fantasy asset. 
Now, this is something that I'd just like to see as, as somebody who liked Dexter Fowler coming up. I really uh, had him in his prospect days with Colorado in an NL only league and was really hoping that, that he was going to turn into something really special. And honestly, it didn't, it didn't quite pan out to what I had hoped, particularly in Colorado. He really kind of got going once he left Colorado. He had a couple good seasons there, but he, he's done some of his best work outside of Colorado. I mean, we are a year removed from 264, 18 and seven uh, in 118 games. That's a pretty solid season. And, you know, last year is definitely the, the anomaly in Fowler's career. So if he get, if he garners some health, it's not difficult to see him performing to a much higher level. Um, I think maybe 15 team relevance, but he just doesn't do enough. It's kind of a bland profile to really see him being super coveted, even at, even at uh, Fowler's best. I mean, you look at what 125 games with the Cubs when he had 276 with 13 and 13, that was a, Again, that was 551 plate appearances, so the playing time was cut. If you can get the full season, you're probably looking at, what, like a 17-17 sort of season. But I, 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 I don't agree with it. I would like it. I would like for it to happen. At Oski Waski 1, Cal Ripken was overrated. Yikes. Um, no. No, he wasn't. You know, because I don't think, like, you know, he's obviously a Hall of Famer. The streak carries a lot of the weight for what he did, but I think if you just look beyond that, yeah, he's a bit of a, a, a compiler otherwise. He didn't have that many standout seasons. He does have two MVPs and a rookie of the year, though. And you look at his prime, you know, going from uh, 21 to 30 when he put up a 127 OPS for 7,000 plate appearances. That's pretty dang good. Now, his 30s were pretty bland. I will acknowledge that from 31 to 40, he had 5,791 plate appearances of a 97 OPS plus. But I, but the defense was fantastic. I don't think you can really deny that. And so that 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 no doubt carried a lot of his value. But there's nothing wrong with that. I, I think that um, you know being a, a an elite defender and having a capable bat. Uh, in your 30s while you're still playing, you know, every day regularly until about uh, age 38 when his last three years he was he was basically a part-time player. And he had a couple part-time years in 94. Well, never mind. That's the hello strike year. So, no, I mean, you, you talk about it. Uh, he really played full-time until he was 37. Having, being able to pencil a guy in like that every day that, that never really falls too far below league average with the bat and often spikes up and plays an amazing defense at third and short. That's fantastic. So no, I, I don't really think he is. I think he's rated properly. He's, he's a great, great player at CW Sox fan says SD goes all, San Diego goes all in at the break after getting out of the gates in first while LA sputters specifically, they acquire Wheeler, Arenado, Strope, Colome, and then San Diego beats the Yankees in six. I got to take a drink on that one. I, I got I to marinate on this for a moment. Ah, tasty lemonade there. Okay. So I guess the Mets fans are pretty pissed on this one because that means that they're in the tank if they're out here trading Wheeler. Uh, they have the farm system to kind of do whatever they want. So if there is a scenario where they do end up looking like the Braves 
or Phillies in the first half. I know the Phillies faded, but those were the two teams that they were out front. They were doing their thing. Uh, we can just stick with the Braves because they ended up winning the division. So if they do have, if they are on a Braves trajectory, and they do well. Yeah, they could go out and, and make some moves for sure. And they could kind of, like I said, do whatever they want because of their their farm system. I don't know. Have we ever seen a team, you know, go out and get an ace, a, a, a best hitter in your lineup type of guy with Arenado and two key uh, relievers? Well, the, the two key relievers, yeah. We, we, relievers is the most traded thing at the, at the deadline for sure. But have they ever gone, you know, has the team ever gone out and got, Maybe not an ace, okay. We'll call it a number two, number two, number three. But a, a premium pitcher and an elite hitter, along with two relief pieces, like to add that many pieces. I don't know. That's crazy. I could see like they're they're going to be they're going to be the chic like sleeper pick. It's going to be like a wide awake sleeper though, because so many people are going to put them as a second wild card. That it's not going to even be that that out there at this point for the Padres because they're they are so on the cusp that they could arrive a year early, but I don't know if they're gonna go out and make these kinds of moves. Hunter Renfro in twenty nineteen, speaking of the Padres, uh, this is from uh, at William J. Marty. Hunter Renfro in twenty nineteen will be the NL version of Chris Davis with a two fifty average and forty homers. I love the response here from Quinn Callahan. He says, Well he, he would have to hit exactly two forty seven if he wants to be the Chris Davis, which is true. You can't be hitting 250. You're not Chris Davis if you hit 250. You have to hit 247. That's it. But um, yeah, yeah, I like this. I, I think this is this is viable. They they will likely let, let's just say this. They they have a Chris Davis on the team waiting. Whether it's a Fran Mill Reyes or a Hunter Renfro, they've got it there, and we'll see which one of them uh, fits that bill most. But I, I do believe that that one of them can do it. At Sparky with an extra Y, 0630, says steroids don't inflate stats nearly as much as people think. That's 100% true. We talk about this in my Twitch chat all the time when, you know, start talking about some of the uh, PED level players and they say, oh, you know, um, but he was on PEDs and that's why he was good. And it's like, no, that's 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 just not how they work. Um, they, they, they're they just not that magical. Because think of all the scrubs who have taken them that got caught, that they their their careers didn't uh, do anything. And I'm not saying they don't help. They keep you on the field. They help you train. They help with recovery. They, you know, they can help you sculpt your body. But you have to put in a lot of work to really make them work too. So they're not just magic pills that take a uh, you know five-homer hitter and make them a 30-homer all-star. So I, I definitely agree there. At JFlow underscore 22 says, Two low signs with Oakland stays healthy all season. Bats 280 with 25 bombs. God, I want this to happen. So Tulo was cut by the Jays with 38 mil left on the contract for two years. And Brian Kenny hit on this because you know there was question of like, well, why would they do that? They're already paying him. Why don't you just keep him there in case something happens? But I think the scenario is more about him taking the roster spot than the money because, you know, is he going to be interested in sitting behind Lourdes Gurriel and, and Devin Travis? Of course, you know, if you're, if you're behind Devin Travis, do you really have to, uh, um, do you really have to sit that long because of his health concerns? But ne nevertheless, 
I think that was the the thing that they didn't want to deal with with Tua, which was potential consternation there. So they just went ahead and cut him free. Now he becomes a pretty intriguing asset for so many teams just because he's free. It's a it's a literal free shot. Okay, not literal because he will cost you like league minimum, but you know. He's making 38 million. He's not going to go to a team and say, no, I got, give me a $2 million contract. No, we'll, we'll bring you on, pay league mill. You're getting paid everything uh, that you could ever want from Toronto. We'll watch you get healthy. Maybe you miss a month. Maybe he's ready. I don't know. You know, Dan O'Dowd is former GM. The guy who signed him to the big mega deal with Colorado says that he's working out Long Beach state uh, looking healthy. Although in fairness, and he admitted this, Dan O'Dowd does have a bias toward Tulo. But let's just say he's going to miss a month. You get five months of uh, of Tulo, why not take a shot? I think a lot of teams should be in on this, uh, without a doubt. You know, I think even some rebuilding teams, uh, not not that he would necessarily want to go there, but they should at least check in and see what's what with Tulo because I think he's still been a pretty good defender when on the field. Obviously, the bat has fallen apart. Getting him out of Toronto, though, off that turf is obviously a big win. It's, it's unfortunate to see him fall apart like this, health has just been an issue throughout his career and really kind of kept him from what could have been a Hall of Fame trajectory, uh, I think for sure. Obviously, I don't really see that happening. He'd have to find a second act that would be uh, pretty surprising at this point because health would, would have to be a part of it in his mid to late 30s. But could he get back to relevance for Troy Tulowitzki? Absolutely. I do like the idea of Oakland um, putting him at second base there. Marcus Simeon's really improved himself at shortstop, so I think it would be something where Tulo would play would play second, maybe third too. I don't know. I think his arm could could hold it. Like I said, the defensive piece is something that's still been there even as the uh, even as the body has has failed Tulowitzki. So let me see what his uh, 2016 was because it, he didn't play last year at all, and then 17 was 66 bad games. But yeah, okay. So 2016, we're we're a couple years removed from a three win season, you know, and. Uh, it's it's not it's not uh, out of bounds to see him being able to get back to a level of of being a a playable guy, and so I, I think a lot of teams will be calling on Tulo and seeing what's what. Maybe he stays out in California somewhere. I, I like it for Oakland especially because uh, you know with their money situation, being able to get somebody like that who could spike into something more. It's a great shot, but a lot of teams, a lot of teams should be very interested in on that. At Freeze Stats says the Royals steal 250 bases and lose 110 games. My goodness. Um, so they'd have to be worse this year than they were last year. Um, or or I, I'm still on this year being 18, so they'd have to be worse next year. And we'll, we'll, we'll talk about... Well, we'll say this year once it, the calendar's at least on 2019. But for now, this year is still the season we just had. Um, I can see the stolen base thing. Obviously, you're talking about Mondesi, Merrifield, Hamilton. Um, you know, even Chris Owings runs a bit. Maybe we get some some steals from uh, you know Hunter Dozier's faster than I think people realize. Uh, I, I 250 though. Let's see if you get. 250 seems like a lot, though. Where where else are they going to get him? Let's say even if, let's go aggressive and give 60 to Hamilton and Mondesi and another 50 to Merrifield. That's 120, or excuse me, 170 right there. Where are you getting the rest of those? That's another, what do you need, 80? So I don't know about that. And I don't know that they're going to lose 110 games either. I, I think this offense is, is sneaky decent right now uh, for a bottom-feeding team, meaning – 
that they're not just going to be, you know, shut out, uh, you know, three three times a week or whatever. And I don't think any team ever gets shut out that often. But you know what I mean? Like uh, Ryan O'Hearn uh, cuts a cuts a Matt Olson, Lucas Duda when he was good type of type of ideal there. So you go Merrifield, Mondesi, Gordon, Sal Perez, O'Hearn, Soler. Uh, right field could be a platoon between. Goodwin, uh, actually, it wouldn't be a platoon between Goodwin and Phillips because they're both lefties, but like Goodwin, Goodwin or Phillips and Owings, and then Hunter Dozier at third and Billy Hamilton in center. You know, again, that's not some world beating offense, but I also don't think it's a complete walkover that's going to lose 110 games. I already mentioned that I like a few of their starters. Their bullpen is still a mess. I don't really like much of what's going on in their bullpen, but they've got a good system uh, that's really starting to grow. Uh, again as well and so if they have some pieces there that start to contribute that could be really interesting uh, and, and make them again not a good team I'm not saying that they're ready to compete but like you know 64 and 98 or something which is like a six win improvement okay so baby steps here but I think the offense is too good to lose 110 not not good but too good to lose 110 at NBIS, Cardi17 says, Kluber collapses a la Lincecum and CeCe before him with an ERA of 4+. Now, I I have shared some concerns on Kluber. I, I, I can't pinpoint it. And when you look at the numbers, there's nothing there to really uh, you know, support being concerned about him outside of the poor fastball. But he's had the poor fastball throughout, and he's just reeled off a five-year run as arguably the best pitcher in baseball during that time with a 285 ERA, 102 whip. And uh, um, since I did the little uh, stat collection there on BRF, that's where I am with the uh, K9 and BB9. So it's 10.1 and 1.8 respectively. And, uh, you know, you just can't really find anything there. Let me go back over to our site now and do like a, uh, uh, the five-year comparison and see where he kind of ranks there because yeah, I just I don't know. I think I think some of us are waiting for the bottom to fall out and we're a little bit nervous. Yeah, if you look at it just that pitcher war, he's tops. Kluber is uh 31. Now he's barely ahead of Kershaw and Scherzer. They're both at 30.8, which is like a an indistinguishable difference. Even Sale right there at 30.5. So you put those four in a barrel and, and pull them out in any order that you want, and I'm completely fine with that. If you want to lean towards Scherzer and Kluber because they have the innings, uh Scherzer with ten ninety nine Kluber with 1091 and then uh, 981 for sale and 916 for Kershaw. You almost just want to rank them by innings as far as saying who has been the best over those five years. I totally, totally get that. Uh, that includes two Cy Youngs for Kluber as well. Yeah, I mean, Lincecum was always a concern because of his size and and just what the, the, the stress he was putting on his body. He did just completely fall off, though. Uh, if you look at it, he had a 274 ERA, 121 whip, and then the next season it was 518, 145, or 147 even. Um, CC, well, CC's actually pretty decent again, too, and it has been now for the last few years. Well, what was his fall off? Let me see what, what where, where did his big drop come from? Um, yeah, he had a 338, 114 season in 2012, and then the next year he was at 478, 137. The the one the one other aspect outside of the bad fastball these two things are really related though the way the where it shows in Kluber's stats 
is that he does allow some homers. 0.9 each of the last three years before this season, and then 1.0 this season. So you just kind of it's right there on that on that one per nine sort of uh, sort of line, which is not over the top. But if he is going to have a gaudy ERA, it's going to be via the homer. And if the walks went up, that would be the thing. I, to really have a collapse, he'd have to lose control and start to walk more guys to make the homers uh, more punishing, I guess, or give up hits. But I think with the walk rate, even if he gave up a few more hits, I just don't really, I just don't really see it. Even with my slight bit of trepidation on Kluber, I've got him all the way down. Man, I'm just, oh, I'm so out on him. I've got him all the way down to sixth. So no, I, I don't I don't really agree with that one. Uh, Dbari twenty two says the White Sox signed both Harper and Machado. And he says, well maybe not. And then he has a little uh, Mr. Potato Head from Toy Story gift saying, hey, I can dream, can I? You can dream. I do think they should uh, again. They're they're in aggressively talking and, and in the rumor mill for one of them. And I really think that they should do what they can and, and pony up the money to get one of them. And you know, the the comparison doesn't quite work because the, either of these would be much better than Jason Worth, but it's that same sort of idea. Remember when they signed Jason Worth in Washington? It was like, hey, why why are you signing him? You guys aren't you guys aren't good. And um, the, it was their kind of announcement of, hey, we're about to be good. We're signing one of the premier free agents, and you know this is this is what we're choosing to do. Let me see what how good they were in 2010. Yeah, they were 69, nice, and 93, and then they signed him. And he actually, you know, the Jason Worth contract really didn't end up too terribly for them. But that first year, it was bad. Like he, he was actually, he had his worst year in four seasons, or in five seasons by far. He was 122, 122, 129, 144 on the WRC+, and then went to 97. So he's, he was below average, but then jumped back up to 124, 153, 134, uh, and, and really got back on track. So, you know, it would be that same sort of vein, but even much, 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 much better because it's a young superstar talent that they're just bringing in to kind of usher in uh, the the Moncada, Kope obviously they're not going to have Kopech this year, but Eloy Jimenez, um, who are some of their other prospects that I'm completely blanking on right now. I am failing miserably on White Sox prospects. By the way, you know who else could could have been part of that was Fernando Tatis Jr. But they had to get James Shields. <laughs> Yikes. Uh, Luis Robert uh, is another one. Dylan Cease, Nick Madrigal, Blake Rutherford, Zach Collins, uh, Luis Alexander Bazabe. I do like him a lot, by the way. So, yeah, you know, ushering in uh, that that core that they're putting together in, in addition to some other guys who aren't prospects anymore, but, but are there as well. You know, Tim Anderson, I already mentioned, Yo Mankata. um, you know, Daniel Polka is not some major prospect, but he's kind of that nice. He could be on, on a good team. You, you like him as like that, that six, seven hitter who just kind of hits his 25 plus homers has like key homers during the season, mostly a platoon guy you kind of spot him against uh, uh take him out against lefties and let him do his damage against righties and then we'll see what ha happens with the rotation of lopez rodon uh, and giolito you know can can they come to fruition i i lopez rodon i give more credence to giolito I'm, I'm just i'm just not seeing it sorry all right next one 
at fish underscore Alaska. Herman Marquez will be a 20-game winner and be the first Rockies pitcher to ever win a Cy Young. That would be something else, man. I don't know. I, I, I mean, obviously, I don't know. I can't predict the future. Hang on. I got to take a drink. I'm going to say no, though, because even during his big run, first off, you may have seen it on Twitter when I you know, retweeted or, or responded to something that, that Jason put out about Leighton Town. I made this little graphic about Herman Marquez and how annoyed I was that I stuck with him for several months and eventually cut him. And then he had this amazing second half, Herman Marquez. Uh, but this is not bitter berry over that. Like, I'm not. I'm not holding any sort of grudge. I still respect what he can do, but but the, there's still just so much volatility with Coors that I have a hard time really putting him in, you know, like my top 20, 25, which is where people are putting him. I think the the, the issue for me is that even with Coors or even with the the big breakers that he has, like the the slider curveball, he's finally developed a third pitch. The fastball in Coors, even during that good run, was still not great. And it, it was still allowing some homers. And I just, you have to almost be mistake-free on the road to put somebody from Coors into uh, Cy Young consideration. Because, there, I mean, there's just going to be some blow-ups. It's, it's, it's unavoidable, particularly for a guy like this. You know, someone like Kyle Freeland, uh, with his sharp command and control seems to have, and having grown up there, I think that plays a role for it for him as well with Freeland. Uh, he's shown that he can kind of tame Coors a little bit more. I don't really think that, that Marquez has that, has that command and control to kind of live there and uh, avoid the blow-up starts. You basically have to get through, through the 15, seven, 15 to 17 starts at home and avoid that true blow-up. And if you can get out of there with like um uh, you know, a 350 ERA and then put up something in the low to mid twos on the road with a billion strikeouts and, and all that, then you could be talking about Marquez. It's it's an interesting one though. I like it. I, you know, it's something to think about for sure. All right. This next one at uh baseball, B A E S underscore ball. He's got a bunch. I'm not, I, I can't do all of them because it's uh, seven different things here. But I'm going to look at, at, at a couple of them here. Lance Lynn, top 50 SP. I want that to happen because I weirdly just like Lance Lynn. I've always just, I don't know. I think I've had him on some good fantasy teams. And so I just kind of, you know, uh, root for him a bit. <sighs> no. No. I don't know. Let me see where he lands first. Uh, he is somebody I think that will be like a waiver scoop that will end up contributing some quality innings, though, depending on where he lands. Javi Baez and Yelich drop off 100 points each in their OPS. Well, Baez, with his plate approach and just kind of the volatility of his profile, I, that I could see more. And I guess I could see it for Yelich, too, because that would still allow him to put up a 900 OPS. Like, yeah, a guy coming off a career year MVP season, if you want to back him off a little bit, even as much as 100 points... Okay, I, I don't think that that's really out of bounds. It, it, it seems jarring, but I mean, what? Let's see where the uh, where where Steamer has Yelich. I bet it probably has him around nine hundred, maybe even a little bit lower, maybe high eight hundreds. 
Yeah, 895. So they agree. And it's a 296, 385, 14 season with 27 homers, 87 ribs, and 16 steals, and 97 runs for Yelich. That's still a damn fine season. So when you are an MVP, you have a hell of a lot of leeway. So I, I agree with that one. And then this last one I'll read from uh, baseball. Uh, Robinson Trinos, 30 yaks. Now, if I thought that he was really going to get the the, the playing time to do that, I, I could get behind it a little bit more. But I don't think that he's going to just have free reign of the catcher spot in Houston. I think with Max Stassi there, uh, and if they look elsewhere to to kind of supplement catcher, not that they would go get real. I don't think Real Muto's on the car, uh, on the table anymore, or even like a Grandal or Ramos, but. You know, if Stassi wasn't working out, I, I think they would still get somebody to supplement Trinos. He just won't have enough plate appearances to do it. But if you wanted to put it, and it wouldn't be as bold, I guess, because he hit 18 and 17 the last two years. But if you wanted to say like 20 to 22 homers, sure. But again, you were going for the bold. I just don't see the playing time for that. I like this one. Uh, at SkinsFan0724, Nats don't sign Harper, but still have the MVP, Rendon. So that's our second Rendon MVP. Rookie of the year, Robles. Does Robles still have rookie eligibility? Let me see. It is still intact. Okay, so they get rookie of the year with Robles and Cy Young with Mad Max. Wow, that is something. Um, it's, ve it's very possible. I think, honestly, the rookie of the year and the Cy Young are almost favorites uh, for, for both of them. And then if you, if, you know, we already talked to Rendon as MVP, go back into the earlier part of the – show to to hear that one that's yeah that's interesting at frong back f-r-o-n-g-b-a-k jorge alfaro the best cheap catching option in the league except in obp leagues yeah sure i'm fine with that now it would it's really going to depend do they go out i think they're the latest team the phillies are in the real muto rumors and so are they, you know, they try to go get real Muto. Obviously that, that curbs any of that Alfaro love, but he's going to be age 26. Looks like he's finally going to have kind of free reign on that 65 to 70% uh, job share uh, of catcher hit 10 homers with a 262 average last year's 324 OBP actually wasn't too bad. Um, you know, all things considered. Yeah, I, I do like Jorge Alfaro. In, in two-catcher leagues, I'm loving slotting Alfaro as a C2. So I, I like that one. Ooh, this one's interesting. This is um, at the, the name James, but backwards, so S-E-M-A-J, 0789, White Sox win the Central. So that, that's a little bit, and again, um, I, I feel this way too. As far as the Padres and the NL, the White Sox are the AL version where they're going to be kind of that chic pick for wild second wild card especially if they if they make some impactful moves this offseason i could i could definitely see it because the pieces are there where if, if things came to fruition with that rotation if lopez and rodon took star turns the offense started to gel with Eloy coming up uh moncada uh putting it together if they don't trade a brayu he's a beast i didn't even mention him earlier although i was talking about youngsters that's why and um and they do sign somebody like a machado or harper yeah, I mean, it's a winnable division. We'll see what, what, what Cleveland does. They're still the favorites for sure, but it, they're not impossible to thwart. All right, let's see. Luis Castillo is 2019 Herman Marquez. Is the, Luis Castillo is the 2018 Herman Marquez in 2019, I think he means? I think so. And that's at the Siege DFS. I love that, obviously. I mean, 
I'm a huge Luis Castillo backer. We all know that. I'm not quitting him this year. It was it did not go well last year for me and my fantasy teams where I had Luis Castillo because of that brutal first half. But he really rebounded in the second half. I still think he has a three-pitch mix that can really work. If he curbs the homers, improves that fastball command a bit, um, which is a, a big key for so many young guys, so it's not even really going out on that far of a limb, then yes, I do think Luis Castillo can. Hopefully it's not that same trajectory, though, where, uh, like I said, Marquez was really brutal to start and had to surge to the finish. Maybe just be a little bit more even-keeled. And, and, and if you take... Um, if you take a little bit off of the ERA for like a Coors cost there and, and, and scale it that way, instead of being 377, 120, let's say it's like 350, 117. Um, not that Cincinnati's super easy, but it's no Coors field. Yeah, I can totally see that with Luis Castillo. I like this. John Brosca. This this one, I don't even know if he knew that the, the signing had happened, but he says Rays finished second or higher in the AL East this season, and they just signed Charlie Morton. And I think that that is such a Rays signing, and I mean that in a positive way. Such a great fit for, for what they're doing over there. I don't think he's necessarily going to get the opener used on him, but he is somebody that if you ask to go five innings, you know, you're looking to put him for five innings regularly. Um, you know, some sixes here and there, but you're not pushing him seven, eight innings at his age and his health record at all. He's 35 years old. He's got a two year, $32 million deal. That's not terribly expensive. I know it's a, it's a big deal for the Rays, but they don't have a lot of commitments. So to give somebody like that, I mean, the, the skills are, are, you know, uh, I don't want to say necessarily unimpeachable. There's a path where Charlie Morton could fall fall back a little bit but you look they're rock solid they're strong uh his swing and miss ability his stuff is absolutely nasty he's allowed fewer than eight hits per nine for each of the last three years while striking out 10 plus batters per nine in all of those and after a big uh and this was only for a little bit uh, so i wouldn't even really count it 2016 was only 17 innings but he did have a high walk rate the last two years he's been um, in, in a very manageable walk rate situation where I think it's been under 10%. And that, you know, if he can live in that uh, 7 8% range, that totally works. It's actually more 8 9%, let's be honest. Um, it was 8% last year and 9% this year, but 26 and 29% strikeout rates respectively the last two years, Charlie Morton. Yeah, this, this uh, they're also in talks to maybe get like a, a big power hitter. Uh, I know Nelson Cruz has been rumored. Edwin Encarnacion via trade has been rumored. They're going to make, I mean, and they were already a good team. They went 90 and 72. The, the Rays are very intriguing. It's a very difficult division, of course. And so it is bold to say that because that means they have to thwart the Red Sox or Yankees, but it's certainly possible. At Brian Recca says the Mets don't have a quote unquote catching hole to fill and she'll let Ploiecki run with the job in 2019. I mean, if Pulecki's what you're looking to do, though, then you do have a catching hole because he's, I mean, he's just not that good. Um, he hasn't really shown anything to make me, make people think that that he can really hold uh, with the bat. I think his defense is is okay, but he's 28. I mean, they do have a catching hole. That that doesn't mean they can't just kind of push him and, and let him do that thing. But uh, no, no, they should. Um, Shar, are you choking? You all right? All right, I think that's going to about do it here. Um, I didn't quite get to all of them, but uh, let's go ahead and uh, and wrap it up here. Yeah, uh, you know what? No, this is just kind of redoing another one. 
It is from a friend, though, so I just wanted to, uh, a friend in the Twitch community, at GoBlueGaming, says, I'm a Cubs fan, but I believe the White Sox, with one or two more key moves, could make a run at the weaker AL Central if Cleveland actually does keep selling. So, again, a reiteration of something we already talked about. I agree with you, Go Blue, for sure. Uh, he's a beast at MLB The Show, so I just want to give him a little hat tip there. Um, let's see. Oh, here, the oh, last one here, because I did want to get to this one. Yeah, I totally forgot this one. At Howard Camerick, C-A-M-E-R-I-K. Otani goes 35-25 and is a straight-up fantasy stud out of the DH spot. I think people are, are short-selling or just unaware of Otani's uh, speed. And if, if they've got him committed to just hitting all year because he's rehabbing from Tommy John and not really going to pitch, then I think that they can turn him loose on the bases a bit. And actually let him let him run. He had ten stolen bases in his three hundred sixty seven plate appearances last year. Ten for fourteen. Like he can run. I, I agree, man. I, I think his stock is going to be on the rise as we get closer to drafts. Right now, he's a bit of a value. Um, I, I think he's a bit of a bargain. People are still afraid to fill that DH spot. Now, when you're doing it with like a Nelson Cruz, I get it a little bit more only because um it's kind of that that power only and and you don't and you can't move him but with somebody like Otani who who really contributes across the board like this yeah you still can't move him it's it's still locking up that utility spot but you're getting such a dynamic player he's in the top 100 right now he's about uh he's in that 90 to 95 range his his peak pick though is 69 which is nice but i think uh we'll see that inch up i i really do i think i think that could end up being kind of his adp Let's go up to 69 area and see who's picked around there. It's mostly pitchers, but it's a in that in that 69 range. Lorenzo Cain, Craig Kimbrell, Marcelo Zuna, Mike Clevenger, and David Dahl. Again, I know it's a DH only sort of thing, but Otani, um, I think he's going to work his way up into that range. And and I'm here to I'm I'm open to it. I'm ready to take Otani there. I, I do think 35-25 is absolutely in the range of outcomes. It's obviously the top end um, of what he could do. But I think Otani is going to be an absolute monster, and uh, I have to get some shares. So I, I'm with it. And if you're in these earlier drafts, you better get them now because I think as spring uh, approaches and, and March draft season hits its peak, he's only going to go up and up and up. All right, y'all, that's going to wrap it up. I think this is our longest call your shot ever. Checking in just over an hour here. So thank you guys so much. I literally put this out this morning and got so many responses. I really, 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 really appreciate that. I'll do another one uh, next month uh, for sure. And, yeah, that'll cap it. I think uh, I think we'll have Justin on Friday. I want to say that's correct. And I need to talk to Nick about our next fireside. So uh, thanks for listening, and I'll talk to you guys later. Goodbye.